0: Podcast ain't played nobody. We got to cheer Bill up. Everybody, gather around. Bill didn't get a lot of sleep last night. It's been a while since you've had a little, little toddler. I was up at 2 a.m. talking about monsters in an air conditioning vent. This is a normal behavior, okay? You yeah, was, well, you had like, a, like you had a sick dog, right? You were mad about, you're mad about some work things. Um, I, you're stealing my cranky gimmick. And so now i oh, I'll man, to I got it all. Better.
1: Like, you have to be a ray of, uh, you got to be a ray of damn, damn sunshine today because, uh, yeah, so uh, the the short version here is I am open to any suggestions regarding how to deal with a neurotic ass dog uh, that at 10 years old is handling storms even worse than she ever has uh, when, okay, so here are the options we've covered so far. We can't crate her because she barks nonstop and basically mutilates herself trying to get out of the crate. Got it, all right. Uh, we can't keep her in the bedroom because mm-hmm. she digs. Yes. It's whatever she can find to dig on, she right, digs, and right. digs and digs and digs. Uh, we were just basically letting her out cause she would go, uh, bail to the guest ba- bathroom, but she, we can't do that anymore because mm-hmm. instead of bailing mm-hmm. to the guest bathroom, she starts scratching on the five-year-old's door, mm-hmm. which is a, a nice little addition. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can't really drug her because we did the Xanax thing and it works relatively well except then basically six to eight hours later she becomes a mighty dog uh, and just runs for like the next three hours after that. So if we time that right, maybe we can get it to where she does that in the morning.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, and we, all, th- with all of this, every storm that has hit the uh, city of Columbia, Missouri in about the last two years has come at about 11 p.m. Okay. And yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so basically – uh to avoid waking up the five year old, we tried to just let her wear herself out by digging in our room. She never did, uh, and so then we woke up the five year old, which pissed mm-hmm. off the chihuahua because mm-hmm. he loves the five year old, and he mm-hmm. yelped until we let him out, and mm-hmm. then he licked her face for about ten minutes mm-hmm. until she was wide awake at midnight. So,
0: mm-hmm.
1: so we're all we're all doing well in the Connolly household today. Um, it, it really this was a nice little flashback to having a colicky newborn. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't want that flashback,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but you know you can't. You don't really – you can't always get what you want.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. Have you ever heard of an antipsychotic? It's called Seroquel, all right? No. All right. So it's uh, it's basically Xanax times four. Um, <laughs> it's for bipolar, all right? You don't really want to put it on an, into an animal, so you could probably get one tab. I'll make some phone calls. I know some people. You <laughs> no. take your Seroquel. You take your Seroquel. You crunch that up. You put it in the peanut butter – Um, if you have over-measured, you will kill the dog, but, you know, 10 years old, right? Um, if you have measured perfectly, uh, just check for breathing, you stick the mirror under there every 30 to 45 minutes, and you go about your day.
1: Bill! But, but, if we're doing that every 30 to 45 minutes, uh, then we're awake all night anyway, so...
0: This is Podcast Ain't Played Nobody. That was a completely non-football introduction. He is the robot Bill Connolly. He invented the S&P Plus analytics system. Uh, he is the author of the 50 greatest teams of all best, time. Best, I, best, best, I don't have the read in front of me, all right? You're the cranky one. Just let it roll, all right? My name is Stephen Godfrey, and yes, I can procure antipsychotics meant for bipolar individuals with, he give you like a day's notice. Get up to Kentucky and get back, Okay. Um, let's talk about something extremely important to the health of your dog, and that's that West Virginia and Virginia Tech are playing on Sunday! Not this Sunday. God, no. I mean, a man can dream. Um, it's my favorite thing. It really is my favorite thing in this entire sport, (laughs) and that is Labor Day weekend. Um, not to get off sports, I screwed up. Uh, And I had a wiener kid on September 5th. So we always have to juggle, you know, how how much of a deadbeat is dad going to be when he's on the road every opening weekend? But it's like midweek this year, so I'm gold. This is the one thing that the naked ambition and gross capitalism of an uncompensated labor market of, you know, just the annual right it's really a change of season as we usher in the blood sport of american football we take labor day weekend we don't have to fuss with the the crusty national football league we just take college football we lay it out in a big lump and we're starving because august sucks and then we spread it out over five days in some years you get a nice you get a nice spread right you get enough of a consumption schedule where you get some you get some apps, right? On the Thursday night, and then some fun things on Friday, maybe like a little palate cleanser, get your ginger on there, all right? Colorado, Colorado State usually. And then you get your full slate Saturday, but then also, no, you're not done, you're not done. We're gonna do something funky. Here's like a fish soup or oh, it's a neat stew. The chef just did this for you. And we go on through Sunday, and then when you think you're done. There's some sort of disgusting chain restaurant mega dessert, some sort of like Jack Daniels lava cake on Monday night. That's usually not nearly as satisfying as you think it will be because you're headed to the restaurant, being like, "I'm gonna get that cake, right? I'm gonna get the thing with the four spoons and the sparkler in it, and the bottom is filled with PC, Shout out to Friendlies. Um, it's never as good as you think it will be on Monday night, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Bill, it's five days, and the weather's still nice. So I've low-key heard about this for years. A lot of people in my, in my area of the country, well, they will, they will skip the beach vacation. They'll go down to the beach on Labor Day. The weather's a little tamer, right? It's not as brutally hot because you're down there on the Gulf. And then you just, you kind of, you have a little bit of the beach. You let the children run around, tire themselves out or the 10-year-old chihuahuas, in your case, and then you just watch the football in your condo. And I wasn't crazy about that for a long time because I feel like that's the merging of seasons. Also, I can't do that. I'm working. But I kind of think that's nice. Also, I have an unabashed, fundamental love for Pensacola Beach. Um, and so maybe it's just me pining to get down there and, um, and be amongst my people. <clears throat> Bill. West Virginia, Virginia Tech. Did you even know this game was scheduled this year? Don't lie to me.
1: I have been immersed in mid-major college football previews for the last three months, so no, not
0: really. Before the show started, Bill and I uh, discovered and celebrated the fact that not only was the Virginia Tech-West Virginia game moved, uh, that it existed. I'm super (laughs) excited about this. They have a trophy. Bill, do you know the name of the trophy? Uh, No. I believe it is the Black Diamond, which is a homage to the coal industry. Okay. Um, in, in the actual football sense, this is going to be a low key awesome game. I know Virginia Tech is, is minus one quarterback. All right. Even though they had a 10 win season. West Virginia, never a known quantity, ever. Doesn't matter. It's going to be fun. It's going to be a good time. Now, the only problem I have with this, My- Bill. One problem. Do you know what that problem is? Uh, I'm, I'm guessing I don't have to guess. FedEx Field, Landover, Maryland. Yeah. There are bad neutral sites, and then there's just bad sites. And if you've ever been to the FedEx Field in Landover, Maryland, or Landover, Maryland in general, Bill, it's assy. It's, it's not tough good. to get
1: to, too I mean, too. Yes, it is.
0: It's pretty awful.
1: By the way, my I think my fa- low-key favorite part of Labor Day weekend in general is the, like, 2.30 Friday afternoon Georgia State game that everybody's actually excited to watch. Mm-hmm. At, le- at, at least for, like, a quarter until everybody's like, oh, right, I forgot. Okay, never mind. But still, like, we are so hungry
0: uh, that... You know, oh, I distinctly have Thursday, memories of being in transit for a week one story and, like, being on the tarmac at some airport and just desperately trying to get the lte watch espn stream on my phone because i really needed to see charlotte and georgia state play in front of 75 people
1: yeah i I mean that's how starved we are that's the um you know that's what what is it between the appetizer and the main course like that's the bread that's Mm -hmm. the the bread and butter uh the the relatively unsatisfying bread and butter that we are hungry enough to just absolutely georgia
0: state cheddar bay biscuit
1: Nah, no, no, no. That's, that's a little lofty. Maybe in a couple of years they can be a Cheddar Bay Yeah,
0: I like that Sean Elliott hire. Um, one thing we would be remiss if we didn't mention in this segment, it's been brought up on the show and, and as we soldier on through the offseason, we sort of have like a soft launch the previous Saturday. How are you going to handle this in the, in the Connolly household? We're going to have a true out-and-out out FBS game with Rice and Stanford. Yeah. Uh, we're going to have eh, Portland State at BYU. Right, where you have a good BYU team. That's interesting mainly just because BYU gets to um, play and put something on tape before they go to Houston and play LSU. Then you have Hawaii at UMass. Yeah. <laughs> and then, Which is almost
1: as far as Melbourne, I'm pretty sure, from Hawaii.
0: The one that I didn't know about, I may actually follow up and turn this into some hashtag content, is why is Oregon State going to Colorado State a week early? Why not? I don't understand why that one got bought.
1: TV is the only thing I can think of. Like maybe – I, I'm not really sure, but that clearly tells us where this is headed. I mean, this starts with four or five games and then in three years, it's like 17 games. So
0: our friends over at LSUFootball.net, not officially uh, affiliated with the Louisiana state university, but still the single greatest scheduling website yeah. that is not in the Espionation nation family. Um, they also list, and I did not, I've got to check on this one. They see that South Florida is at San Jose state, which is one of the teams mm-hmm. we're going to talk about today. Um I did not know that. I kind of want to check that one out and see if that's legit. Um that bill is a weekend. Yeah. Now here's the other problem I have with this. Not a problem, just question, just question. Uh Rice Stanford uh is going to be played in Australia, so that's why it's a week early for travel right. reasons. It makes sense. They did it last year. They will build that out with some sort of broadcasting hullabaloo. Although last year, I think they kept Yeah, they kept the announcers at home to save money. Um yeah. So There are no television um, assignments on any of these. Now, BYU having a home game falls to ESPN. Right. Um, I'm curious what Oregon State, Colorado State is going to do. And then I'm curious about the the same as South Florida at San Jose State. What we've got here, Bill, is a low-key Mountain West showcase weekend.
1: Yeah, and actually I just remembered um, San Jose State is playing them. Probably it has something to do with the fact that um, they're at Hawaii and they took, it looks like they took advantage of the you can have a
0: 13th game thing. Um, yeah, I think that's the through line here because that's why Hawaii UMass is a week early. That's why BYU gets to open a week early. And then I guess so the other explanation is that um, Stanford would be – oh, that's just because it's in Australia. They get the week right. travel grace. I still don't understand Oregon State, Colorado State. Is it because Colorado State plays Hawaii?
1: Um, see that
0: but that exception it doesn't work if you're a conference opponent because that means every Mountain West team would be able to do this and I, I know well, that that's not
1: for a long time I thought it was like that every I don't remember how that works yeah but regardless I know San Jose State's playing 13 games doesn't make sense I, I was assuming it had something to do with Hawaii and yes by the way Colorado State does play at Hawaii on September 30th so Maybe even if you don't take a 13th game, you can stretch your schedule out a little bit to this account is for It's all
0: very strange. Very strange indeed. Um, there's nothing here I would go and cover. I'll tell you what, we'll go ahead before we get into questions. We want to throw it down. Go to the comment section. We've, we've been trying to work that up. By the way, those of you who went to the comment section last week on the podcast, Ain't Played Nobody, Entry on SP Nation, we do appreciate that. Please keep doing that. Um,
1: yeah, and we're going we're gonna to respond to some of those comments here shortly.
0: If you can find something for us to go do at one of these games, I think we're going to send young Richard Johnson to the Hawaii UMass game in Boston. Um, <laughs> I think that might be it on content. And
1: we're, we're going, well, we're going to Melbourne,
0: right? We're going to do a yeah, PNC location. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: Fire up the jet, Bill um so that bridges i didn't mean to, to dwell on august 26 i just don't know how i feel about this especially as someone who you know woe woe be it on the poor sports writer to to experience so much in person i get that my job is coveted but there is something about labor day where it's like okay that this is what i'm gonna cinch up and go right you know we're, we are in the mode from here on out whereas this just feels like college football soft launch it's very strange yeah, um, I, I will,
1: and I, I think this is something uh, that um, probably a lot of ideas are like this. I actually I have no problem with it whatsoever as long as my team isn't doing it. Same with like you know yeah. Tuesday night football. Love Tuesday night football as long as Missouri's not doing it.
0: Yeah, uh, so buried in here um, on the Thursday, August thirty first, we have a small problem. I feel like okay, we really don't have a banger, and Thursday night usually has a banger. There's if you go through this this stretch, I'll do it real fast. Okay. Um, Florida A&M at Arkansas. That's an SEC Network game, but come on. Austin Peay at Cincinnati. Buffalo at Minnesota. Eastern Illinois at Indiana State. Sorry, wait. I I was supposed to only do FBS. Uh, Toledo opens against Elon. UConn opens against Holy Cross. ULM is at Memphis. Um, That's kind of got Godfrey Bowl in it. Uh, New Mexico State at Arizona State. Uh, Utah against North Dakota. Not North Dakota State. Big difference. Um, Wake opens against Presby. Central Michigan opening against uh, Rhode Island, and so on and so on. Idaho starts its march to death against Sac State. Georgia State hosts Tennessee State from here in Nashville. The one low-key game that I guess is – I think the Big Ten network has the, the rights to, if I'm not mistaken, yeah, I think so. is Ohio State at Indiana. I just went to Indiana a couple of days ago um, for a series that's forthcoming on first-year head coaches. That game is going to be the game. Yeah, and not honestly – Tom Allen, a really good Indiana defense that, as I did uh, some some Bill C-like research, realized not only were they really good and, like, way above average relative to Indiana, they were good relative to the rest of the league, with some perspective, and they returned most of their guys. They're going to go against their old offensive coordinator, who left in, like, a big huff with a lot of political BS. So that's going to be a legit interesting game. Yeah, and uh, here's uh,
1: my—well, first of all, Indiana— Kind of killed some of my excitement when you know when Allen hired Mike DeBord as his offensive coordinator, but um, I, I well, a I'm going to try to withhold judgment on that because DeBord might have been completely handcuffed by Butch Jones these last couple of years.
0: I'm going to uh, anyway. I'm going to just stop you there and and say that you are headed down the right path.
1: Yeah. Uh, so anyway, um, my counterpoint to bangers on Thursday is we don't need a banger on Thursday. Uh, we that's, that's our, oh, hell yes, we've got college football in our life again. It could just be a run of uh, incredibly, wonderfully mediocre games, and we're going we're gonna to love it. And so let's not waste a banger on Thursday night.
0: I'm just sad South Carolina and Vanderbilt aren't playing because that seems to be like once every three years, that's the Thursday night opener.
1: Uh, yeah, I don't know how South Carolina got out of their, their annual uh, Thursday night slot there, but I don't approve.
0: Bill, I'm going to be honest with you. I tell you what, we're going to make some news right here. On, oh, I'm, on the podcast, they play well, No, I'm grab, dead serious. Right, Grab hold of my desk real quick. Okay, go. I'm, I'm going to fire up an email, and now I'm a little bit away from the mic. Um, this I, I'm dead serious when I look at this. So the only thing that's slotted right now is that uh, Arkansas, it, is. it's actually kind of smart because it, it's their Little Rock game. They get FAMU out of the way. That'll be on SEC Network. Got it, right? Nothing else has a network designation except Wake that's just because of the ACC contract because it's a home game you cannot show me unless Ohio State has the rights or I'm sorry unless uh, Ohio State Indiana's rights go to ESPN we're gonna bang on an email right now and find out if that. I think bill I think a game's gonna get moved to Thursday night.
1: Which game? South Carolina?
0: No, some game. I don't know. But if if they are going to move it to Thursday night, they do. It, they need to do it immediately. Well, yeah, they, they need to do that pretty fast. You know, I'm, I'm, not no, I'm not kidding. Question about Thursday night. This is good this is really podcast
1: right now, huh? By the way, there are six games, or excuse me, um, seven games on Friday. Georgia State is not one of them. But they play um, Thursday. Yeah, but Fordham Army at at, at the, the weird 5 p.m. Central Time uh, kickoff on CBS Sports. Uh, I love that Army plays those little those New York uh, the the New York area FCS teams. That's all that just makes me happy.
0: Feels well, right. It's just an easy, it's, it's good economic sense. It's a good warm up. Um, I don't think the SES teams are going to like it as Army gets a, becomes a better and more uh, fundamental well, right. I mean,
1: option team. When, when Army consistently beats those teams, it's, it hasn't been a warm up for Army in recent years. But in theory, it could be uh, moving forward. But yeah, you've got your you've got your Colorado, Colorado State. You've got Charlotte at Eastern Michigan, um, which is a game. Uh, Utah State at Wisconsin, which is—I mean, actually, Utah State was better than their record last year, so maybe that's something. Yeah, a bunch of weird, like Washington at Rutgers is disgusting, but Boston College at NIU—that uh, just a random kind of semi. Hey, we're starving. This could be fun game. That's the both Fordham Army and BC NIU are on CBS Sports, so I assume that means BC NIU will be at like eight PM Central time. I totally uh,
0: guessed on Colorado, Colorado State, but I was right. Yeah, definitely not the first time they've been on Friday. Uh, Utah State at Wisconsin. Yeah. Dave Randable.
1: Yeah, well, and last time they played, it was, you know, last second, what, missed field goal, I think, by
0: Utah State is, is why Wisconsin won. So, you know, revenge. How many people are going to go to Rutgers just to write a story about last year's playoff team and, like, do one of those, you know, uh, really rote, it's like a very formulaic, Feature assignment on like Washington looks to rebuild after da 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 da. So, like, you'll have like 40 extra people in the Rutgers press box on Friday. But <laughs> well, certainly,
1: it's certainly not the hardest game to get to if you are based in the uh, New York area. Because, I mean, we are talking about New York's college sports team. Of course, we are.
0: Um, we're not going to break down the entirety of Saturday. Um, no, in fact, no, no. everyone knows about BYU LSU and the neutral sites. And, you know, like we already talked about Florida State and Alabama being possibly the biggest and best uh, week one uh, neutral site non con ever. I'm going to come up with a better name for all those qualifiers there. Um, yeah, I mean, ooh, no, it's, it could be one versus two. Like, that's, you Hang can't on. get it. Hang on, Bill. Again, as we are grossly underprepared for this show, there's a designation, Next to Tulsa and Oklahoma State that says expected to move to 831. Uh, we are looking at different. Oh, yeah, you're on the LSU LC- football. Clicking public. it no, takes no, me no. to a story written by who else? Barry Trammell, the Oklahoman. Story, dateline, last week on my birthday, March 29th. OSU-Tulsa game expected to be moved to Thursday night, August 31st. Well, there you go. Do you think when ESPN PR gets my email in about 10 seconds, they're just going to send this back to me and say, hey, stupid, do your research? Well, I mean, technically, you don't actually have to hit send on the email if you haven't sent it yet. I already sent it. Okay. Ooh, interesting note here, Bill. The Big Twelve television contract calls for at least four games a season to be moved for Thursday night broadcast. Oh, four. Jeez. Okay. Of course, the Cowboys opened the 2015 season on a Thursday night at Central Michigan, and then nothing else important happened in that game. Well, actually, or that one in that was... series, I meant to say. Yeah. In that series. Um, hmm. Hmm. I'm telling you. Look, I had a hunch, and then it was confirmed as I scrolled down on a website. That's it good really journal. I wasted all that time typing out an email, too, so... It's good journal. Well, but is Oklahoma, t- is Oklahoma State and Tulsa a banger?
1: Uh, it'll be a scorer. That's
0: for sure. It'll, a PAP be pun- it'll be, it'll No doubt. No, no
1: offense. Love Tulsa going to get pretty decent hype this year. So in Tulsa, I don't think they will be the AAC favorite, but especially yeah. with the bowl bump from last, what they did this poor CMU last year, I think that'll be treated. Not, I mean, obviously not like, you know, Alabama FSU or something, but I think it'll get pretty good coverage and pretty good treatment.
0: Hmm. Hmm. I don't know, Bill. How do you feel about this?
1: Uh, I feel like we need to go to uh, we need to start responding to comment thread questions from last week, but we haven 't done Sunday yet. That
0: was the whole point of the gimmick
1: <laughs> well let 's do sunday then
0: sorry i don't know I, just, I I'm sitting here doing some live journalism on the air it's pretty tough okay um sunday is i wouldn't say perfect. But you have Texas A and M and UCLA, and you have Virginia Tech and you have West Virginia, and that's good football content. My only issue is, what did they do, Bill? They put them against each other because one is Fox yeah. and one is ABC. Yeah, that's dumb. So stupid. Um, now, granted, then,
1: that opens up an opportunity to watch South Carolina State and Southern playing in the most, maybe the best, most uh, pleasing to the eye combination of uniform colors that you'll see all year. Um, very true, because South Carolina State is a nice red and blue, and Southern's colors are just the most perfect in in God's creation. So. We uh, got um, that to look
0: forward to. It. We'll wrap this. We'll wrap this meandering, unprepared for segment up by uh, Georgia Tech and Tennessee and Atlanta is the Monday night game. Look, folks, yeah. I know that's yeah. not Texas, and I know that's not Notre Dame, and I know or no, that was the Sunday game last year. The yeah. Monday game was Florida State and Ole Miss. Um, I know there's some wattage issues here, maybe comparatively, but this is still okay. It's still good football spread over five days, so oh, I don't yeah. want no. to hear anybody complain.
1: No, I, and I, yeah, like I said, I mean, especially when you've got Alabama FSU, you don't need any other bangers. Just put some fun football on, and, and we're good.
0: By the way, before we jump out, um, the following week is going to be as crippling as it always is because the only Thursday night game scheduled right now is Idaho State and Utah State. And Friday <clears> night is Ohio <throat> at Purdue. <laughs>
1: we do have Georgia-Notre Dame.
0: On Saturday.
1: Yes. Move that?
0: No, no, that, no, no, Catholics. no. We need something. We need something on that Saturday. Jeez all right um bill we've gently and politely asked people to drop their questions in the podcast ain't played nobody comment section on SBNation.com. we got some good ones Uh, a good portion of you have um complied and so where do you want to start there's only one or two that i actually tagged in the comment section that i said we would get to but we've had some more since i checked it last where do you want to go first
1: um, I'm always a sucker for a money ball question, okay. so I, I marked the, the stat question. I, I, am going to, I'm going to acknowledge the temple to ACC question, whether we actually read it or not, but sure. Yeah. Let's start with, no, uh, I've, I've got
0: that tag. That's where I was going to
1: okay. go. All right. All right. Well, first, uh, our friend Poo. Okay. I don't know how to say it. Poo tech. P-U-H-C-T-E-K on, uh, On the SMB Nation Uh, says, I'll add a a question to the community. Bill, in your EMU preview, you mentioned how – see, somebody read my EMU preview, and I appreciate that. You mentioned that a- analytics haven't affected football as much as other sports. What additional data could be realistically collected to improve, your st- to improve statistical models? Uh, what one stat that isn't currently recorded do you think would have the biggest impact on the usefulness of S&P Plus to coaches? Mm. I suspect the sample size for football is just too small to ever build a great model, especially considering how many players don't play full seasons due to injury. Um, mm. So, oh, and then he also says, Godfrey, is there any talk among coaches about how they would like to see advanced stats improved or implemented? I can answer that one too, by God. But um, the bottom line – I mean, it's not about a model. That's the thing. It's not – when you're talking about how coaches can use advanced stats, models don't really – they 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 can – if you're using opponent-adjusted data to scout, then you're going to scout better for sure. But generally speaking, it's not necessarily that the model, quote-unquote, isn't good enough. Uh, it's that they haven't figured out how to use it in their day-to-day life yet. And, uh, you know, working on that a little bit. But mm-hmm. I, I think the bottom line here is in terms of one stat – every coaching staff in the country has some vague definition of what a big play is and some vague definition of what a successful play is in terms of like down to down kind of thing, um, that they, that they use that is great. I, I, I think a lot of them don't use it quite right. I know a lot of coaches still use probably three to four yards on first down as opposed to the, the five that I use, um, and, I mean, they all have their reasons for that. But, basically, they all have general models to account for that. And that's good. Uh, you know, I, I've always said, like, football coaches are probably the most purely analytical coaches that you're going to find because of how much they have to track and how many, how much they are searching for tendencies and all of that. They don't know that it's called analytical necessarily, but that's what they do. They, they are, that is a natural part of their job. And so um, I don't think that – I mean, for that reason, maybe alone the, – the, Stats aren't going to have the, the role like uh, the same kind of role that baseball ha- uh, that stats had in baseball, where you know, starting in the late seventies and early eighties, you could basically fundamentally break down baseball and show the four thousand different ways that coaches and scouts and uh, and commentators were all using were all either using stats incorrectly or not using them at all. Um, it's harder to do that for football because of the bouncy ball, because of the small sample, because of the 11 players on the field, but also because I I think we're, we we kind of start out naturally further down that road. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and, and you, I, I can spend three hours. I probably will at some point talking about the ways that that day to day usage part and and the way that stats can play a role there that they don't realize, but that's more behind the scenes. And, you know, I think it says something that basically every single conversation you hear on television or at the Sloan conference or wherever and talking about football stats, why haven't they been incorporated? It it very quickly boils down to why are coaches punting so much on fourth down? Like that's like, that's the only issue uh, with, with, uh, you know, with, with anything regarding uh, coaches and stats, but um, it's a little more vague and it's a little harder to describe in a short amount of time. Um, but I mean, there's no question that, that coaches could be using stats better when it comes to scouting, when it comes to self-scouting and evaluating recruits and development and all these other things. They have 47,000 different data sources that come at them uh, and they could use it better. But it, I, for all of those reasons, I do think it's just, it's harder for uh, a quote unquote analytics community to to have an impact in football because the impact will be a little more vague i have nothing to add and and by the way that is in t- the question that he asked you in terms of uh yeah you did talk among it. coaches and whatnot that's yeah, i mean that's that's pretty it. much it like they tell tell us what to do is basically the the one answer like how can how can stats help tell me how to use stats to help and then
0: also you're just have, not going to find the personality type that's looking to disrupt for disruption's sake. It's not right. kind of existing coaching.
1: Yeah, it existed like three times ever.
0: Yeah, and and those people are generally considered pariahs, even when they even win and if right. they're successful. Right. Um, it's, it, I think the culture's too homogenous to, to ever really see it, a trend of people self-examining for any other reason than to iterate on just a little bit on what they think they already know um they generally when coaches say we're going to self scout we're going to break apart and analyze they're not really saying we're going to embrace new thinking even when they say oh, we want some fresh perspective no you just you're, you're going to go down another avenue that's already been established in the in in the college football world be it be it schematic and I think player development recruiting whatever yeah Yeah, I think the first
1: impact that stats will have, and I think I've probably mentioned this on the show at some point before, maybe many times, but the first impact it's going to have uh, is not necessarily in our decision making has changed so much as uh, like the old example I always give of the coaches splicing film together in the 70s. It's going to speed things way the hell up um we can scout we can do all the same tendencies all the same stuff we do for scouting except we can do it much faster we don't have to wait till a bye week to self-scout and review all of our film because we're getting in it real time as well like that's the kind of thing where stats are going to have the first impact is just making everything a lot easier and faster to do what you already do and then at that point we can figure out if you want to do more
0: bill question for the show from mark mandingo if spurrier had never come to florida as a coach is it possible that the beast was never woken up Seeing as they had tons of success in squeaky shoes, bouncy hoops, while sharing a state with two other football powers, could the fan base have elected to fool themselves into not competing for money and talent with the other Florida schools, or do you think Florida developing into a football power was inevitable? Thank you, Mark. Uh, Your latter thought is the correct one. Uh, There is an inevitability that occurs when um, the market dictates it, and in that case, the demand would have just absolutely built and built and built had Spurrier not come. Let me just pose this real fast, because there's not many like analogues that you can create in this scenario, but let's go back to Spurrier arriving at Florida and build do you remember the other power school that he was allegedly considering? LSU Well it wasn't Duke. Yeah, that's right, that's right. LSU. So this I hear this because it's a campfire story in Baton Rouge, you know, how things would have been different in the nineties and the quarterback woes that persist even into this season. Shout out to Danny Etling. Uh, let's just say that that happens. It Spurrier goes to LSU and turns LSU into the offensive juggernaut, and all this kind of stuff. Okay, so everything that happens, Fun and Gun, Danny Werfel, that all happens in Baton Rouge. Okay, what? It's not out of. It's really not. I mean, we're we're playing with the timeline here, um, and as the Flash will tell you, that's never a good thing. But it's not out of the realm of possibility to then just end up having Nick Saban take a job at an underperforming Florida that's just getting absolutely ripped <laughs> up by Bobby Brown. It's not, because that is the oh, no. state of affairs in in Baton Rouge when Saban does arrive. Now, the big difference is I think Florida would have achieved success faster than the 01 era because LSU was held back by a lack of organization, but also a lack of money relative to what the state of Florida was was seeing come into their public education system in the 80s and 90s. That's the biggest difference. Louisiana went Uh. through a huge boom in the 80s and then an immediate bust. So um, I don't know how that would translate necessarily. I think just the the culture of Florida at the high school level would have eventually forced the hand. Um, You know, Spurrier made the program and I think created an apathy that persists to this day. But I don't think he was the only one that, that would have been successful there. It's not a Bill Snyder thing.
1: I, yeah, I, that all makes sense. I will point out, by the way, that um, Florida was getting close. Florida's probably it, it wasn't like they were going two and nine every year before Spurrier showed up. The problem—I mean, they had three straight top ten finishes in the middle of the '80s. The problem was they couldn't get—they couldn't stop getting caught cheating. Um, it was kind of an issue. Um, but they went nine two and one in '83, nine one and one in '84, and '85 um they were they got hit with some sanctions, but they had started to kind of rally a little bit under Galen Hall until they got caught doing the stuff again um and and so they weren't that far away and it took spurr to figure out how to win without either cheating or getting caught cheating at least but it it, it it, this wasn't a destitute program, and so I, I think you know they just weren't that far away to begin with. They would have been just fine.
0: Before we move on, I'll, I'll – Fine. Pose not this. not great, but fine. I'll pose this before we move on. Since I've screwed up the timeline here and i put Spurrier at LSU, okay? And I theoretically I put Saban at Florida. I firmly believe that if you keep all the other variables intact on our Earth 1 reality of what actually happened or in our timeline <laughs> – um, Oh, man, I live in Earth 2. It's a great place, but anyway – um, what's so great about it? Okay, I'm not gonna digress. Um, I think Spurrier runs his course at LSU very similar to what happened at Florida. Okay, goes to the NFL, goes back, ends up in a South Carolina, you know, like position. I think if Florida gets Saban, if they miss out on Spurrier, and they become the school that Saban sees as the reclamation with the financial potential that's that's sitting. In Florida, in Gainesville, in that state, I think Spurrier stays, and I don't think I think Spurrier builds a kingdom. Now, I'm not saying Spurrier's personality, or Spurrier. i am sorry, Saban's personality. Saban's personality still dictates that he wants to go try his hand at the NFL, but I think the circumstances change enough to where he wins multiple national titles, not just one in Baton Rouge. I think he wins multiple national titles because we're now we're now in this in this reality. We've now put Saban at Florida probably close to the, the Zook time, if not affecting the Urban Meyer part of this. So I don't know how long I play out Saban being there. I mean, he definitely still probably tries to do the NFL thing at some point at some point, but I think he wins. I think he does one of two things. He does wins more initially at Florida the way Meyer did, but three or four in a row, because what you have in Saban is everything that worked at LSU plus everything that's working right now at Alabama in one school. Uh, excuse me (coughs) allergies yeah um i don't know if urban meyer ends up in florida then it's a fascinating weird sort of you know set of dominoes but i do think that there is a possibility i mean i'm pretty much writing the fiction at this point where he creates the machine he's always wanted at florida and he ends up putting down there because i don't it was funny i have this app and this is a digression on, on topic, I promise, Bill. I have this app that saves, like, long-form writing or anything I can't read right away. It's called Pocket. Dan Rubinstein at Solid Verbal was the one who, who kind of clued me in on it, and I use it all the time. I was clearing out the app, and there's a story in the – I think it was the New York Times or SI about the, the courtship of Sabin to Texas. And oh, yeah. it's all centered around this belief amongst money people that Sabin can't turn down a rebuild. And I don't know if I believe that. Yeah, I think that's become some sort of some sort of philosophy that we've put on Saban because he there's plenty of rebuilds out there, especially he's on the pro level. Attracted to a rebuild, but he can say no to them. I think he can say no to them quite often, to be honest. I don't think at this point he would even look at an NFL rebuild anymore, like a like a perfect yeah. situation NFL rebuild. Well, it's I don't getting think
1: old. He's like, yeah. So um, while you were talking, I was desperately testing my newspapers dot kung fu to see what i could gather about who else florida was looking at in uh late
0: 1989
1: okay uh, i have not gotten there yet but
0: um, what if they hire curly Yeah, Hall has, Hall, has a t- yeah. i know so many lsu in this podcast who are just dying because i mentioned that <laughs> well uh, you're about to be dying
1: so um this is uh I, Detroit Free Press, which whatever, but December 24th, 1989, uh, there, is no, there is no joy in these holidays for the Atlanta Falcons, only sorrow and relief that the NFL season is ending. Uh, yada, yada, yada. Um, no different since than Campbell's, today. Since Campbell's resignation, reports have surfaced steadily that Duke coach Steve Spurrier and Notre Dame's Lou Holtz are prime candidates to be Atlanta's next head coach.
0: Yeah, yeah, I knew about that. Okay. Would have been awful, though. Yeah, I mean... They, OBC, the, the, uh, OBC going straight from Duke to the Falcons. No, no, that doesn't bother me.
1: That actually... I That would have maybe been the best chance for Spurrier to succeed because it really did seem like by the time he got to the pros, he... I don't want to say he was set in his ways. He changed a lot of those ways at South Carolina, but he... I think by that point, his vision of football had been affirmed to the point that he he wasn't ready to change gears as quickly. And maybe at that point, he would have been a little more flexible. But he was always meant more for college than pro.
0: That's what I'm saying. I'm not saying that Spurrier doesn't work in the league in a different circumstance because Washington was a bad one. I'm just saying that there's no way that the league adheres to Spurrier enough for him to get the job done. He would have been blocked. I mean, it was a talentless franchise back in – 89-90 Eighty nine ninety era, the Falcons, Just off the top of my head. They made a bunch of bad draft moves. This is pre-Glanville, where at least they had some defensive talent. But I don't think Spreer coming in and running whatever version of fun and gun would work at the pro level. I think it just, no. Not in that era. People would have looked at him like he was insane. You said well, more than good. two wide receivers down the field in 1989 in the NFL—
1: and yeah, but Glanville, I mean, Glanville and June Jones and all that, I mean, that, that was the time when they whipped out the run and shoot, which is not the, quite the same thing, but it's kind of the same. I mean, it's...
0: Yeah, I guess been. you're right. That's, but that was more a function of desperation when June Jones yeah. came in and they were willing to do that because Glanville was so up and down. Um, God bless him. God rest that man's soul. Not that he's dead, but... Oh, man, when he goes, <laughs> he's still, dead. His soul still needs a little resting, I guess. His soul's in Knoxville. Um, Bill! Wait, do you have yeah. next or do I have next? Um, sorry, I'm still, man, uh,
1: this is, I, I'm usually really good at this, but I'm only finding NFL runners, oh, like the one. Arizona okay. Cardinals, like the Arizona Cardinals looking for, but trying to decide between Steve Spear or George Welsh and John McEvick. Uh,
0: I got, I've got another question. You ready? Sure. Jack Knight. Temple to the ACC? Question mark. I started to think about Temple's future since the Owls were mentioned on the latest episode. Uh, do you think Temple would be an attractive school to the ACC? The Philadelphia TV market would seem appealing. Football and basketball teams are definitely solid performers with okay facilities, but would their past failures in the old biggies hold them back? Or would the ACC just figure grabbing Temple isn't worth it with Penn State being so dominant in the state and having the West covered with Pitt? I actually think Temple could be excellent in many different sports if they had a power conference affiliation combined with their improved academic standards and a move away from commuter school status. Um, and that is tough. Wow. And that is tough to write while being a Villanova. Ah, Your thoughts. Wow. Yikes. Wow, Lee. Um, hmm. lot to unpack here. Um, it's going to be very hard for the ACC to expand much more without without making sort of coup-type additions. So picking yeah. off the upper third of um, the Big, Big, Big 12. 12, if that implodes. Yeah. They've done – you've got to be diplomatic when you say this, like – because I love what Pitt's done you know, since joining the league. And I love what Louisville's done since joining the league. But I don't know how many more of those that you survive without becoming something else. Um, I yeah, like I... Temple. I like their potential. I don't know if that makes sense right now. I don't know if they command the Philadelphia market. This is a chicken and egg argument in that, well, if you give Temple the, the platform of being a Power 5 program, then maybe they continue to build their their local fan base. I was just there last month. I mean, it's... Facilities-wise, they have so far to go.
1: Yeah, and I think that's... They're kind of... It's rocking a hard place because they... I think to to really kind of build any further than what they've built so far, they need to get the kind of the on campus presence, like we were talking about with the on campus stadium. But really, for a university, for the university as a whole, the motivation to do that is just I don't know if it, I don't know if they can justify it as a university. So it really it's going to be it's hard tricky. for them to grow more. But they, I don't think they can grow more. So um.
0: the uh, you know they they have a renters agreement with uh, Lincoln financial field. I think it's still called the, the Eagle stadium. It's not particularly, um, great. None of those are, I mean, you're a tenant and you don't get to build much of a home culture there in an NFL stadium, but at the same time going and expanding and breaking ground on a home facility. That's, that's a big, big move. Um, they need to do it eventually. I don't know how they're going to do it, but they're going to need to do it eventually if they want to maintain because, you know, Jeff Collins is not a life or hire. I, I think everyone knows that. Um, So, you would need to secure that. You would need to, you would probably need to secure use of bringing in and and guaranteeing some neutral site games, even if you build on campus. Kind of the, this was the model that uh, Cincinnati had pitched to the Big 12, which was, We just renovated Nippert, which if you've never been to a game at Nippert, to me it's one of the top 15 places to see a college football game because when it's loud, it's in this old 1930s, like, core Mm. concrete pit. And, sorry, not like pit, Pittsburgh, like a pit. On campus, it's beautiful in a weird way because they have all this modern architecture around it, and they just renovated the top of the stadium. It's really a cool place to go see a game. Problem is, you're not getting more than, like, 36 in there. Right. So Texas or Oklahoma comes to town, hypothetically— they had a standing agreement, hey, we'll move that to the, to the Bengals Stadium a couple miles down the road. Um, you'd have to do something like that at Temple, because if you build an on-campus stadium, it's going to be 35, 40,000 seats. Anything more would be stupid. Yeah, oh yeah. Um, Others who have
1: been contacted and or interviewed for the Florida job are Florida interim coach Gary Darnell, West Virginia's Don Nalen, who, by the way, interviewed for every single power conference job between about 1986 and 1996.
0: So nothing uh, changes at West Virginia. Houston Oilers
1: offensive line coach, Kim Hilton, D- Denver Broncos offensive coordinator, Chan Gailey and former Buffalo bills coach, Kay Stevenson. Wow. So yeah, there's probably a reason they honed in on Spurrier real early in that process.
0: Well, I mean, yeah, they just, they didn't have the equity on a national
1: level that they do now. Um, well, especially with the probation and everything. I mean, that was, they were still kind of getting, uh, a little dinged by, well, they didn't go to a bowl in 1990 Spurs first year. They went nine and two and didn't bowl. Um, because of uh, of sanctions, so that was a tough sell for, and they had to play the alma mater card there, and, and it worked.
0: Yeah. Uh, so to wrap up Jack's question, um, so the thing with I don't think Pitt would block them in the ACC. I don't think it works that way. Also, it's a long damn way from Philadelphia to Pittsburgh. Um, yeah, and then, and then you have I made this, that drive this summer. It's tough, oof. and then you have this dominant football, you know, power in the middle of it. So I don't think that that necessarily is an issue. Um, I think if you're Temple, you just have to look a little more practical in the short term which is keep winning football games keep making good hires which i think they did and keep upsetting the pin states or the pits or whomever you can get on your schedule and try and focus on the, on the facilities thing first. Because when you have facilities, that's something that doesn't change, right? That's something that doesn't go away. If you do have a, a stumble hire or, you know, Jeff Collins leave, maybe he leaves a coordinator behind his head coach and then that doesn't work out. Well, you know what? That doesn't mean that the stadium blows up or the practice facility blows up. You still have those things intact. Um, and that takes money and that takes a consumer demand that, had, you know, it might take 10, 15 more years to do. These things are kind of glacial sometimes.
1: Yeah, I mean, the best – and always the best way to to make your future very bright is become very good at football and remain very good at football. So uh, Jeff Collins succeeds, and then you make another good hire after that and another good hire, and then three, five, eight, ten years from now, uh, the conference situation is whatever it becomes at that point, and and maybe it's favorable to you. I don't know if there's a way, but that's the only really – Possible way is just get good at football and remain good at football and maybe get good at basketball again,
0: too. Um Bill, we need to talk about the we need to talk about the Mountain West. Um, well, let me real quickly. Also, okay, I have one more fire. question pulled
1: up before I forget. Well, we also, we, well, hang
0: on. We also have rapid fires from from Twitter. Yes. Yes, what, we do. So what order do you want to go in? You pick one. right now. This one is a very good
1: one. I just want to bring it up because I don't have an answer, but I want to bring it up because it's a good question and people can think about it.
0: Uh, our, our friend
1: Dirk Camel uh, from March 31st. Uh, I've been doing some reading on the air raid and how modern offense is evolving and how it's not that quote-unquote modern from the Meyer and Ellison offenses. Uh, But I'm also a few chapters into 50 best college football teams of all time, reading chronologically, and I'm wondering which school runs the most quote-unquote archaic offense. I know Stanford runs some very tight and heavy sets, and Bama leans heavily on the power run when Kiffin isn't there uh, or was on a short leash. But which current programs, P5 or G5 or FCS, do you all think run the most prehistoric, lumbering, power-heavy, Walter Campion, Woody Hazy, and Cloud of Dusty Offense? (laughs) And Uh, and who is most successful with it? Whether you want to factor service academies and Georgia Tech into this, I'll leave it up to you. Yeah, I mean, anything involving the option at least dates back to World War II. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's a pretty good place to start. Obviously, there have been tweaks since then. But uh, that concept, obviously, of the option offense, was it originated around that time. Mm -hmm. I mean, nobody's doing, like, Georgia Tech mid-19-teens kind of jump shift stuff or anything, but – if you go back,
0: if, here's why I think this, it's an impossible question to answer. Um, That's why I liked it. If you pick up Chris Brown's first book, um, yeah. which you can purchase while you purchase Bill's book over at theamazon.com, um, he has an entry about the peak kind of Gus Malzahn mania. So, yeah. circuit Cam Newton. When you pull the layers off of that offense, he's running old veer technique. Right, So because it's such an iterative medium, I think that in a way everybody – I mean there really isn't a whole lot new under the sun. It's almost Uh, easier to name something that's fundamentally, structurally unique than it is to say who's running the most basic thing in the world because so many of those foundations and those pieces are just kind of mixed around and redone based on maybe a change in personnel or technique or a trend that you see in recruiting – I don't think that there's necessarily – you know, there's not a lot new under the sun. I, and by the
1: way, um, you know, I mentioned the jump shift and all that. That was basically figuring out a way to take advantage of motion to create mismatches, which is a lot of what Auburn did uh, and still does. So, yeah. yeah, I think you just absorb these concepts. By the way, the correct answer to this question, Wisconsin. Um,
0: you think? Anyway, yeah.
1: Uh, Wisconsin, San Diego State, those are the teams that – But like, maybe Okay, but Matt way- Canada,
0: who's at LSU right now, all right? Yeah. One of the most innovative play callers in the nation, highly touted. Higher really wasn't touted as much as he should have been when he went to Baton Rouge this off season because they were in the Lane Kiffin sweepstakes and lost. But Canada will run anything at any time anywhere. It's the like put his film on and it is awesome and fun and weird and strange. Um, the the LSU team sided SB Nation and the Valley shook has got a series of these going on right now. They he will have one season where a tight you know his three tight ends get you know 150 targets or something like that for a thousand yards it's crazy and then he'll turn around the next season and they will look like the maryland eye
1: you know but canada wasn't the wisconsin offensive coordinator last year oh i thought
0: you meant i thought you meant in general you mean just last uh, well kind of
1: in general because they have always been a very very no matter what they're running they're they're leaning heavily on run on the run they're using a lot of tight ends they are uh, power-heavy, woody-hazy-and-cloud-of-dusty. Yes. Um, now, well, cl- clouds-of-dust don't apply when you've got uh, guys rushing for 2,700 yards, but regardless, of the Well, Canada was, say, like,
0: Canada was there for Melvin Gordon. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was there for – crap. Who was the Rose Bowl back? He was there for all of BLM's running backs. And they ran the ball like 75% of the time. That's what I'm saying. So yeah. he can turn around and do something completely bizarre the next year where they're doing all these like weird motion shifts and stuff like that to isolate receivers. Um, and they're, I mean, they're running a ton of spread like spread concept with pre-snap motion and then they end up running zone stuff, but they're under center. So this is just one example off the top of my head where you can have, I mean, you can go out and look at what USC is doing right now as the, I think what maybe, uh, like in the, even into the Sark era, Bill, I think, wouldn't you say if you, if I said pro style college football team offense, you would say USC, right? Uh, less so now than before but yeah i mean no they're, I mean, they're basically that's what prototype. i mean, like a couple yeah, years ago prototype yeah yeah and even now there, there's little iterative wrinkles and changes as the thing goes so i guess what i'm saying is everyone's just it's constantly revolving back on itself to the point where i don't know who's completely stayed i will say that um if you're looking at the lumbering kind of tight in running back mentality the school that can run it and not have to and not have to create the wrinkles to adapt right now is Michigan, because yes. they're talented enough in an alarmingly short amount of time to run that, and not really. You are not going to force them to counteract. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, and I guess it, this all depends on the interpretation of the question. I mean, Michigan is is well, they haven't been necessarily good enough at running the ball to be truly, like, quote-unquote power-based or whatever. Um, but well, they, not, have, mean, lot they, they have – I mean, they have not
0: – You know, it's a lot of bootleg. It's a lot of, like, what I guess – I mean, again, this thing is so nebulous that we're trying to nail down right now. Right. Like, are you talking – Lumbering
1: is the word that I've really been honing in on here, <laughs> and, and that's 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 Wisconsin. Um, anyway. Yes. Uh, real quick on the Mountain West, since we've uh, managed to kind of pigeonhole ourselves time-wise. Sorry. Uh, well, you know, that's my bad. You know, that's not, that's not uh, off brand for us, but we could save it to next week. Let's see, where am I going to be at next week? Let's see. Uh, UCLA or UNLV literally just went up seconds ago. Got Hawaii, then New Mexico, then Utah State, then Air Force, then Wyoming. Actually, yes, let's postpone because we Bill. already talked a little bit about UNLV and we will more in the future. Hey, Bill.
0: Hey, Bill. We'll go all mountain west next week.
1: Well, let's not go that far. Let's let's not commit oh, to man. that.
0: Listen to me. Listen to me. We'll go
1: that far. We'll uh, you just want to talk about Wyoming for a,
0: an hour. I'm Speaking not of which, you want to do rapid fire? Because the first one's yes. a Wyoming question. <laughs> All right, these Money have down. to be They're rapid down. fire. No, this is the single, this is the, the most glaring weakness of this entire podcast. Bill, Andy Karp asks What's the ceiling for Wyoming? If Bull has success, and then he has a little equal thingy sign. He says, equal Boise, will he jump ship to a big program? Or greater than or equal to Boise is what he was trying to say. Uh, yes, he will. You anything to add, Bill? <laughs> no. I mean, that's, that's your lot in life. Get, get weird,
1: make good hires. Then when you lose him, make another good hire and stay weird. Matt Jennings, these
0: answers could change like tomorrow, but if or when the Big 12 breaks up, pick a conference landing spot, P5 or G5, for every school. <laughs> Crap, Matt, that's not rapid fire! Uh, well uh, texas independent uh oklahoma and oklahoma state southeastern conference you can jump in at any point
1: both of them i see i'm still not convinced that they have to be tied to each other but you really can't do anything rapid fire in life can you well because you gave the wrong answer it's not my fault that you gave the wrong answer iowa
0: state drops to a g5 kansas state i think drops to some sort of amalgamation of independent or g5 kansas i think goes independent or big 10
1: a, uh, the ACC. I think ACC is a, a potential for Kansas.
0: Yes, I like that as well. I don't know if they would have to tie in Kansas State on the transfer thing there. Um, I think Iowa State is the most perilous, almost guaranteed to be a G five or try and survive in some weird stasis of independent. Um, Baylor goes to Mars. That's where they need to be. Uh, Texas Tech. I think lobbies for SEC. Um, God, I don't really don't know. Lobbies for Pac. Lobbies for Pac twelve. I'm sure. <laughs> Man, what a mess there! Um, this is a great question because it's very hard to answer. Um, West Virginia—that's that's probably the toughest one to answer out of all this because we just got done talking about how you don't you can't put too much more chewing gum on the ACC thing. But I do think that they would take West Virginia. Uh, look, if they're playing neutral site games in Landover, Maryland, right, against Virginia Tech, it quietly makes sense. They have a freaking—they have the pit—they have the pit draw too. Of you know, yes. hey, let's reunite. Yeah, yep. um, TCU. I, yeah. Man, would make a a strong, admirable run at SEC. I was going to say, I think they have
1: a better shot at the SEC than people would just kind of reflexively think. I don't know if it's a good enough shot, but I think they would have a shot. And maybe, you know, the Pac-12, knowing that the Pac-12's only real options right now are are the Hawaii-Shanghai option that we talk about a lot, or like UNLV, San Diego State, whatever, uh, they would look long and hard at some sort of like baylor TCU Texas Tech partnership kind of thing. yeah I don't know if they would pull the trigger on it, uh especially if Texas isn't involved, but they would look at it. And um you know, so you get you get to see a lot of lobbying there. I think uh, it was the to
0: so wrap this up as fast as I can, I think you would see Houston in the Pac12 before you would see Texas Tech or Baylor. That may be the revenge of the Cougars. Mike the Yank, Bill. What? Which non-Houston, non-P5 team in Texas is the most intriguing, long or short term? I have an answer. SMU, SMU, uh, UTSa. Okay. Do you, Do we want to elaborate? How rapid do we want to go? Oh, I think. Me I mean, second. I think one we sentence. talk about both of those
1: programs a lot, but I think SMU is still far enough ahead, at least in terms of conference. Well, yeah, in terms of conference affiliation, they're good at basketball again. All of a sudden. Um, so I would say SMU, but the UTSA is going to close that gap uh, pretty quickly.
0: I think they're one of the most dynamic recruiting stories that you can see in the, in the, in the, in the, on the horizon because they're doing something new in a place that's never seen it before. I also think they're going to be experimental and fun, um, not necessarily something with the dogma around the state of Texas that you get. Um, okay. Bill, Ryan Dewey, should I be excited that Etling finished equal to Austin Allen and Bill's QB study? <laughs> yep. Both juniors, just different narratives. Yeah,
1: um, so yesterday I posted just a big, massive data dump of of quarterback stats. Uh, but when I did it, I decided instead of making an easy post of, hey, go look at this data, I decided to, to tinker a little bit because I haven't tinkered with data in a while. was it, getting a little rusty. Um, so I basically, based on the number of rushes to passes or passes to rushes that a quarterback had, I, I broke them into three categories, statues, statues, um, dual threats and runners. And so the runner category was a little blurry because it also basically ended up including a a bunch of guys who are not runners, but ended up in like, you know, a bunch of blowouts where they were just, you know, not throwing very much, but regardless, it was kind of fun doing this because you get a lot of, you know, it was not uh, opponent adjusted in any way. It was just a first stab at doing something interesting. And you did get things, a nice reminder among other things that Danny Etling, at at the, in the 73rd percentile of statues, (laughs) Along with um, uh, Josh Rosen, who, who you know had a weird injury-plagued year or whatever, but like Luke Falk was in the seventy-fifth percentile, Wilton Spate was in the seventy-third percentile, and of course, and as he mentioned, Austin Allen, who's seen as like an up-and-comer in the in the uh, SEC for this coming year, was in the seventy-first percentile. Um, I this don't, is the I, I went MacGyver
0: where the bomb goes off and I'm dead. Rapid fire it never works out that way. No it
1: doesn't. Danny Edling, I think it, the only thing to take away from the fact that Danny Edling was no worse or better than Austin Allen and Luke Falk and and all these coaches uh, all these t- quarterbacks who have a much better reputation, the thing to remember about LSU last year and I've said it a million times and I'll write it it's going to be the focus of the preview, that for 8 of 12 games they had an uh, an untouchable defense and an awesome offense. And based off of that play action that they were able to get with Geisen and, and Fournette. Uh, Edlin did just fine he missed some long shots he could have done a lot better but he still 60% completion rate 13 th- uh, yards per completion minimal sacks minimal uh, interceptions he, he was fine it was just that they needed a little bit extra against good defenses and he didn't play against all those good defenses but they needed a little bit extra against good defenses that either he or the play calling or whatever weren't able to provide but he's, that's not, a terrible, nope. he's oh, not a that's not terrible he's not oh, a okay. terrible quarterback
0: at Sue Jack asks, I would argue, or he actually just says, I would argue a And M or Arkansas are natural rivals. Uh, I would argue that they're they could be natural rivals, but they are not yet. And please move that game out of Arlington and let those games be on campus. I, uh, everyone,
1: are, it's fun though. I, I think like they've no, all been fun and packed, and and that's that's not terrible for
0: a neutral site. Too side game. many games in Arlington. Way too many games. Well, okay, well, yeah. Texas Tech and Baylor also in Arlington. KSU, Hamburglar. Like Ham uh Lots of thoughts on Levitt replacing Snyder when he retires. Outsiders' thoughts on Levitt getting a second chance at KSU. Stop selling yourself short. How many times do I have to say this on this program? Stop selling yourself short that it has to be KSU. You can conduct a national search. The ghost of Ron Prince is not haunting this program. I'm saying, yes, it's incredibly unique what Snyder has built and his ability to reload quickly and create 10-win teams out of a weird pile of parts. But you can also look nationally. Jim Levitt, by the way, would be a great candidate. He just doesn't have to be the only one is what I'm saying.
1: And you just relegated Kansas State to the, to the mid-majordom. So, um,
0: but you know. no coach is going to change that.
1: <laughs> right, but they, I
0: mean, why would you? Why would go, you... In four t- go, go in four national titles in a row. It's Manhattan, Kansas. They need the Big 12 to stay intact. And they were one of the schools that was hesitant on, on adding expansion candidates. They, they're right there with Iowa State. They shot themselves in the foot. Adam Luckett asks: Is Troy Boise State the best G5 matchup of the season? Is it Harson and Brown's last season at these schools? Silvers are ripping. Uh, I like ripping. I don't think Harson's going anywhere. Um, uh, I you know you may see his name float out in coaching seasons just because Brown. Yes, definitely his last. And I don't know if it's the best G5 matchup of the season because I haven't looked at the entire G5. I, yeah, season, I don't want to say it's a yeah, good one.
1: I, I never remember all of the good matchups.
0: Um, it is a damn good one. Is it, here's uh, the biggest question I have about that, Bill. Is it still called Movie Gallery Stadium? <laughs> type, 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 type. type, type, type. It is now called Veterans Memorial Stadium. Okay.
1: Uh, Steven Allen, a, a, a friend of the program, he, he uh, is, is a follower of both of us. How much credit does an interim coach really deserve for a turnaround midseason? season not LSU and USC good but unlucky before Edo. Yes. Yes, they were.
0: Yeah, but also, he
1: he rallied the troops. He kept yeah. the team together. There is something to be said for that. Uh, I'm still confused. I'm I'm really happy he got the LSU job. I'm still confused that he got the LSU job.
0: I still think he's a better candidate than what happened in the situation. U- he probably should have had the USC job, and it shouldn't have been an issue. How about that?
1: <laughs> that's no. That's quite possible. But he also they weren't really any better with him at, a, at USC either. Uh, he just he he managed to uh, keep the the ships moving forward, which is something. But they it's didn't funny turn you mentioned around.
0: ship because the best analogy I can give is that when you're three or four or five weeks into a season, it's really hard to turn that ship. Things are already going. You have another opponent next week. You have an opponent after that. You can't change offensive terminology. You cannot do it. I, I mean, I wrote a story about this where he sat – I, I sat with him in his office the day after they beat Missouri, and he said, look, we can only do so much. We want to do so much, but we can only do these three or four things. And it was – they they stripped off some of Cam Cameron's NFL stuff. They installed a lot more deep route stuff, and they wanted to pass to run more versus run to pass more. And that's kind of all you can do as you go. yeah. Yeah, so I it's mean, hard I, to create. it. What I'm saying is, like you, I always, hockey coaches get fired in the season all the time, and you see yeah. dramatic turnarounds. And I can't, like, I've, I've asked hockey people before. I always get different answers. Uh, do we run out? I think we're running. No, we have. We um, bounced around, so I can't tell. Oh no, just dead air, eating us alive. Uh, that's what editing's for. Dead, dead air. Here's another one. Ross Strif asks, "How does the transition from Braum to Sanford affect Mike White?" That's a good question that I can't answer yet, but he should be fine. Yeah, I mean, was a I hope not much.
1: I hope it doesn't affect him much. And as somebody, as a USF fan, pointed out yesterday, when I was creating like the overall list of like top returning quarterbacks based on this whole percentile thing that is very raw and and not very well developed. Number one, Mike White. Number two, Quentin Flowers. Really? Uh, yeah. Um. Not again, not adjusted for opponents whatsoever, but USF ties to each of the top two quarterbacks
0: uh, Sanford uh, is Sanford's remarkable in the way that he works with quarterbacks, and he's a story that I would like to get done before the season in the summer after I have my kid, um, is to go up there and kind of figure out what he's going to do because certainly not broke, the, the system that Brom left him, um, he's going to do it differently, I think the uh, public issues that you saw with Brian Kelly and his comments, I think uh, with uh, Malik Zaire 180 degrees different than how Mike Sanford would have handled that situation. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, the, the end. No no need to... Yeah. Brian Kelly. You're so screwed. Um, Woo! Richard Miller's asking, can we get PAPN in the full cast to answer essentially the same question again RE Wisconsin two weeks ago? Doesn't matter the topic. Um, did that happen? I don't remember if... Uh, did we get doubled up, or? Apparently. We, we, I mean, we've already talked, we've had our Wisconsin segment. We did the Purdue, like, so, so the memes on this show, Bill, if you remember, right, Purdue got beaten into the ground because it was always about the futility of a particular Power 5 whenever we were trying to hold up a G5. Like, when the podcast first started, Purdue got mentioned because of that, right? Now, for whatever reason, we, we talk about Wisconsin, In some framework of ignored slashed overlooked every freaking week. (laughs) Which they are. All right, I'm going to have an asthma attack. You got to say something. Okay. Uh, So
1: we're going to wrap this up, I think. I think we're just about to the point of wrapping this up since we're not going to go into the Mountain West just yet. I'm going to share, if I remember, Uh, in the SB Nation. Next. In the. I just want to talk about Wyoming. Um, we are going to share, uh, in, in the comments. So a few weeks ago, months ago, whatever, I don't know, time, uh, American football league of China. We talked about the, among other things, the combat orcas and, and all of that. Well, somebody, uh, our friend Ross Cunningham uh, found an archive of YouTube games from the American football league of China. Mm. Um, he says the the rules appear to be exactly the same as current American football, except for the bad punting and very, very high arching passes. Uh, they are played on soccer fields, naturally, although I feel bad that they didn't even do them the courtesy of moving the soccer goals out of the end zone for the Shanghai Nighthawks. But he shared some highlights, and I'm going to share them with you because uh, this makes me very, very, very happy.
0: Do you want to throw, it, throw the link in on the uh, on the show page on the site? Yeah, awesome. exactly. Um, I, I watched a little bit of it. I wouldn't say it's, you know, bad arcing passes and, and poor special teams. I mean, hey, it's just the Cleveland Browns. Well, I was, I was going to go with high school football, but yeah, you can make the be- you can make the better, more topical joke there. Uh, oh, Bill, when we do the promotion on this episode, we have talked about so many schools today. Exhausting. Well, I just I, I like being able to. Um... We hit forty schools
1: today. <laughs> Seriously, we did. Yeah. You can go with t- Kansas State to the Mountain West and the Shanghai... Uh, I've already forgotten their nickname.
0: Also, um, keep in mind, um, for SEO purposes, I did bend space and time and put Nick Saban at Florida. If you're looking for true. some high traffic potential there.
1: And LSU fans, I think you probably need to stop talking about the Spurrier to LSU thing because I didn't really see a single mention of that going through the archives. So I think that was mostly...
0: No, uh, no, no, in- no, that's real. Oh, I'm sure, I'm sure,
1: I'm sure they made advances. Oh, but-
0: oh Bill. I, they, I'm oh, sure they made advances.
1: Bill. I'm sure they got their hopes up, but it looks Your like it was
0: mentions, Bill.
1: Florida or the Arizona Cardinals or hey, the Atlanta
0: Falcons. I want to be real clear right now. When you at us, don't at me, at Bill, at at him too. No, I did I said it was real. Oh, Bill, LSU Pretty fans, scared. LSU fan. Well, you, if, if there's anything you ain't need to be scared of, it's it's. Uh, 8 ain't need to be. I need another negative in there. B, fear LSU. All right. Uh, We answered a lot of questions this week. Bill, do you want to do it again next week? Let's do it. Okay, bye.